Father, this morning we just come to you. We thank you for the gift of life. And we just want to praise you, Lord. We just want to be in your presence. We just want to proclaim your goodness, your power, your might, above all your love towards us, O Lord. Let everything that has breath praise you, Father. Praise you. Commit ourselves who are here and all your church, everywhere, Lord, wherever your children are gathered, whatever situation they are in, I bring them all by faith to you. Lay your hands upon them, Father, and bless them. Empower us, strengthen us, heal us, deliver us, help us to walk in that victory. Teach us, Lord, teach us. Your word says it is the anointing that teaches us all things. Pray even this morning the anointing will break the yoke and the anointing will teach us and the anointing will empower us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. amen. Saturdays we've been looking at how God is focused on us becoming something, the new creation. Right? If any man is in Christ Jesus, all things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Okay? And that new creation needs to know what they are becoming. Actually, we are becoming like God. Not in terms of power or his omniscience or anything, but in terms of his (coughs) character. So we see through the new covenant primarily. And you see the old covenant through that eyes. Otherwise we will not understand. The old covenant seems to be full of like a pulp fiction. (laughs) Full of violence and romance and lust and everything. But you have to see through the eyes of the new covenant and you will see the lessons how no people even in the old covenant became more and more like God. <coughs> so we have the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. We have all the epistles, and we've been looking from Titus chapter one, verse seven and eight of becoming different things. And we are stuck on being holy. Be holy. Okay? And of being holy, it's a very, very big word. Only four letters, but in content, it's a huge, huge word. The first part of being holy is that you and I, we cannot be holy unless we are separated from something. Okay, so before God can make us holy, the first thing he does is he separates us us from sin. And he separates us unto righteousness. That's the first step. That's when we are born again. What does it mean to be born again? To be born again means we are separated from and we are separated unto, okay, from sin to righteousness, from the power of Satan to the power of God, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of world. It is from there it means. So if you are not born again, it's good lessons. When you are born again, you will understand it, okay? If you are not born again, it will only work from outside like the law. It's good for the society. You will be a good law-abiding citizen. Okay, but if you're born again, you'll be good for God. Okay, for the kingdom of God. But we looked last week. By the way, holy means basically it means God is holy means He's cut above above the rest. 
So God is telling us, no, you need to be a cut above the rest. Now we understand in terms of the world, you know, why can't you be cut above the rest? We are not talking about that. We are talking about holiness. And we saw that in last week. We saw the basis of everything. Okay. You need something that needs to keep on uh, pushing us. Okay. Incentive. If you don't have incentive, that's, there has to be, that's why children uh, have this attention span. Because they don't have something, and it's not anything about, they're not to be blamed, because they are children. They do not have that attention span, because they do not have something within them to keep on pushing them. Okay, so you have to always induce them with chocolate. So the chocolate sitting over there are for children. Okay, adults don't turn around and look at it. It is for children. If you are good children and you listen carefully and take the notes, there are chocolates waiting for you on the other sides. Okay, so they always need. But for older people, you need something to motivate you. And in the kingdom of God, the basis on which primarily, I said, I said last week, in heaven for the angelic host and whole heavenly host, the cry is holy, holy, holy. On earth, no. We haven't even understood the holiness of God. And whenever people had a real encounter with this Isaiah or Peter, Old or New Testament, then only they understood God's holiness and their uncleanness. But on a normal course, even Jesus walked on earth, people were not aware of his holiness. Okay? They were not aware of his holiness. They knew he was different because of the works he did. That is something he covered it in his flesh. Not that he was unholy, no. But the Pharisees thought he was unholy because of the company he kept. Okay, because their holiness was all outward. So you need to realize that on earth, when we talk about the holiness of God, it is not going to move people. Okay, the cry from the cross is not holy, holy, holy. The cry from the cross is, how much do I love you? So the motivating force on earth, okay, is, is love. Understand that, okay? Parents also understand that. The ultimate thing that will bring your children to their knees, it's love. It is love, okay? And that's what God shows on earth. So he will say, if you turn with me to John chapter 14 and verse 15 and 16. <coughs> this is what Jesus says. Remember, these are his final teachings. Okay, to the disciples and from the disciples to us. Final teachings. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Okay, so he says, if you love me, what do we need to do? We need to keep his commandments. Okay? So it is, this is the motivating force. You love me. Okay? You love me. Okay? Not you fear me. Though fear, the fear of the Lord and all people don't even understand it until you receive through this Holy Spirit. Okay? But if you love me, you will keep my commands. And what will God do? God will, when you start that, he gives you his spirit. And he gives you spirit without measure. Okay, so one of the reasons the Holy Spirit is given is so that we can love Him and keep His commands. There's a step we take, and there are two steps God takes. Because of our free will, and God's righteousness demands that He doesn't mess with our free will. He gave it to us. Okay, like I said, no, when our children grow up <laughs> in our house, we give them a room. Whose house? Our, whose room? Our room. Whom did he give it to? Them. Then we knock. And the door is shut. 
We don't just barge in when they come of age. We don't barge. We, we, we uh, appreciate or honor their privacy and the freedom we gave them. So God gave us free will and said, I set before you life and death. You choose. So even in the final reprobate church, he knocks. Would you open the door, please? Okay? So understand his righteousness demands that he will not force us to do anything. So we have to make our choices. And when we make that one choice towards God, he, his, his answer back to us is through his spirit. He gives us his spirit. And then if you look at verse 23, my favorite verse in his entire discourse, Jesus answered and said to me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Okay, from commands, it has become the word. Okay, word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. God will feel at home in your life. Okay, feel at home in your life. Okay, think you have five children or six children or you have a big house with five bedroom, six bedroom house. Each of your children has a room. And then among those children, there is one child who loves you. You love all the children. There's one child who loves you and who obeys your word. And as your normal distance, you visit all the rooms. But in one room, you're very comfortable. You feel at home in that room because you know that child loves you and keeps your word. Okay? So to that child, the church in Philadelphia, God has nothing to say except commendations. Nothing to rebuke. No repent. No don't do nothing. There's nothing to say. He's visited seven churches. To Smyrna, of course, he says, stay faithful until death. Nothing negative there. The church in Philadelphia, you know what? He says, if you look at that seven churches as seven individuals, seven children God has, to that church, he says, you know what? I know. You have very little strength. But you know what? You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. So you know what for me? It doesn't matter what you go through. There will be always a door out for you. You will never be trapped by the enemy. I will see to that you have a way out. We have to look at it that way. That's how we understand. How we understand how God works. Because the most powerful motivating force is always love. The basis of everything we do. And why do we love him? Because he first loved us. How do we know? How do we know? Because we say, you know, um, you can give without loving. But you cannot ever love without giving. Love always gives. There are actions connected with love. So when you say, oh, that's a very loving person. How do you know? Because you write poetry? <laughs> no. It's because that person is a giving person in a relationship. In any relationship, you will say, oh, that person is very loving. No, why? It's a giving person. It's a giving person. Whether you're giving in good scolding or in actions. Okay, like ma. Okay, nice scolding also. Nice actions also. So, you know, yes. Okay, so, loving person. Okay, actions are there. So, we look at the cross. And we look at the cross and we realize nobody has ever loved anybody like that. Nobody has ever liked that. Like that. And the Bible says, you may lay down your love. Somebody may lay down your life for a good man, a righteous person. But how will a righteous person lay down his life for a wicked person? A hostile person? Okay. 
understand that. And that is where the cross comes. And if the cross doesn't change our life and our attitude towards God, God's final word is that nothing else will. Nothing else will change our heart if you don't understand the cross. So in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, I didn't give it. Oh, I'm sorry. thought I gave it. Okay. A new command I give it to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, he takes it from our relationship with God, vertical. He moves it horizontal. You have to become like me. How? The way I love you. How did I love you? You were weak. You were wicked. And you were my enemy. I still loved you. God says, I want you to take that same heart and apply it. Okay? Especially within the context of the brethren. And he says, when you do that, what will happen? By this all, this is not talking about loving the world that way. We're talking about within the context of the body of Christ. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How will the world know you are my disciple? Okay. <clears throat> Like I said, it is not holiness and it is not righteousness. Because we cannot measure these things. And some of the people in other religions can give us a run for our money in their righteousness and holiness. But what they cannot do is love. What they cannot consistently do is to love the unlovable. That no religious man can do. It is impossible for them to do because that is simply by the power of the Holy Spirit which they do not have. Okay? And that's what God is talking about. So understand, we're just getting into what motivates us. And then if you turn to 1 John chapter 5 and verses 1 to 4, and, and I would say has your homework today, go and read the, the epistle of John, first epistle, 1 John. It is a treatise on love. And truth, how he mixes both together. Okay. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. So, first premise. If you're born of God, if you believe Jesus, you're born of God. If you're born of God, you love God and you love God's other children. God. That's why we will intercede every week for people we have never seen will probably never see in this life. It doesn't matter which nation they are in. We know they are our brethren, our brothers, our sisters. It is one family. Okay, understand that. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His Do is completely he flips it across. By this we know we love God because we'll keep His commandments. God says no. That's true. I will put it very horizontally also. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commands. Okay, the entire ten commandments, the first four are connected with God, the rest six are connected with man. So God says, when you obey me, you love me and you love your brethren. Okay, and then, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Now suddenly turns it around. What is the love of God? It is not feelings. It is not emotions. It is not high. Okay? We connect everything. This is a simple thing, okay? Because in the world, emotion, love is always connected with feelings. I am in love. Did you do anything? Nothing. 
I'm just in love. I did nothing. Well, that's what the Bible says. This is the love of God as different from the love of this world. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdens. Why? Because the love makes it light. We always use the illustration of Jacob, like he served 14 years for Rachel, and those years were like few days for him. Okay, and 14 years do not become few days. They are 14 long years. Okay, okay, 14 long. And then, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He brings faith over there. But remember, only one thing matters. It's Galatians 5, 6. I didn't give it over there. It is faith working through love. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. That is what makes the works of faith without burden. Okay, without burden. Otherwise, you ask the children of Israel, the second generation, were you tired after marching around the walls of Jericho for seven days? What makes it not burdensome is love, though it is a walk of faith. Walk of faith otherwise will tire you because you're just walking and you see nothing. See nothing. If you want that walk of faith not to be tiresome, it has to be empowered by love. And that's one. Let's go back. 1 John 5, 4. Right? For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. That is our faith. So he brings the word. That's the commandments of God. He brings love. He brings faith. He brings liberty there. And he brings victory over there. All are put together. Okay. So the question is... Why is this so important? Because we are living in those days. Matthew 24. 7 to 14. For nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now watch. Then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive. 10 and 11 all go together, okay? When there is offense and hatred, it is very easy for you to be deceived by false prophets. If you are not offended and you walk in love, it's very difficult for you to be deceived. Whenever people are deceived, you will see there is a state of mind that goes before that. Okay? Judas was offended with Jesus. And it was very easy for the devil to enter him and get him to betray Jesus. So they all go together. And verse 12, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. See, love comes over there. The final dangerous tipping point is that our love grows cold. And we are totally unprepared for the coming of the Lord. The only thing that actually prepares you for the coming of the Lord is love that works through faith. And what happens is the entire system will say, hasn't these things happened in the past? Yes. So what is the difference between our times and the times before? All that was listed from seven has happened. It's been happening for 2,000 years. What is the difference between then and now is media. Old days when it happened, nobody knew. 
It was localized. Nobody knew. Today there is nothing that happens which is localized. One crazy fellow in a supermarket in New Zealand stabs six six people or seven people and three are critical. We know it immediately within seconds. Right? When there is flooding in New York, we see the pictures here. When California is burning the second largest fire in their history, we see the pictures here. So media has changed everything. That is the difference. It is not that these things did not happen before, but it's happening with increasing intensity and above all, everybody everywhere is aware of it. So we have to be careful that we do not lose our love. Watch your love for God. Watch your love for God and watch your love for the brethren. Watch out for these two things. Otherwise, we will get deceived. So in our pursuit of First Peter, Chapter 1. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So, comparison is given. So, we are coming back to holiness. How should be holy? As God is holy. How is God holy? In in all his conduct. Okay, Not in certain conduct. In all his conduct, he is righteous. In all his conduct, he is Calling. And our hearts, actually it was first Peter verse 13 onwards, where it says, gird up your mind, yeah? Gird up, okay, if you say. Yeah? It's okay, if you don't get it, it's fine. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, okay? Ultimately, it does work from your mind. How does your mind go? Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? And as obedient children, not confirming yourself to your former way of life, former lust, as in your ignorance, okay? Now come to Second Timothy 1.7. And what does God give us in return? God has not given us a spirit of fear. He has given us a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. So, coming to today's premise, okay? We looked last week, and today we saw God is always jealous of anything that separates us from it. It can be a thing or a person, okay? He's jealous of anything that replaces. Arundhati, yes, okay? Jealous of anything and everything that separates us, comes between him and us as first place. So be holy. The first premise is be separate from. Okay. We told you there are two parts, separate from and separate. Both are equally important. And our problem is if we are not separated unto, you will become a Christian Taliban. Truly. You will be nasty, you will be bitter, you will be judgmental, okay? That's what happens if you're separated from, but you're not separated unto. All the religious folk over there, okay, are separated from, okay? But they are not separated unto. It's separated unto that makes our conduct like God. God is separated from, but is always kind and merciful towards his creation and he never lets that affect his holiness or his righteousness or his love. Okay? So please understand it is so important because we have to learn to be separate without hating. And that is negative, hating. Okay? And we have to be learn to be separate yet be loving. 
that is positive because we are separated unto god in love and in obedience because the first christian taliban was cain and he became that man at the point of offering a sacrifice to god a religious work which caused him to murder his own brother he was separated from but he was not separated unto okay so let us let us look at how this happens how do we how do we go through how do i separate what is the things which you need to be careful about young children are also here older people the lessons are for everybody let's go to james chapter 1 verse 14 and 15 i want it together yeah keep it there like that remember the purpose of the enemy is to create separation okay the purpose of anything the enemy create doubt doubt goes to unbelief unbelief goes to sin sin causes separation separation causes death okay so how does he do that he creates by a temptation each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed and when desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death okay and we know death is primarily separation from god and life therefore is being united with god okay so if you are separated okay if you and i are separated from sin separated from sin we are one step away from death if you and i are separated from temptation we are two steps away from death and always two steps from a pit is better than one step okay if you are separated from enticement three steps away from death three steps is always better than two steps what is enticement enticement is someone or something that causes us to consider wrong consider wrong the messengers of balak came to balak and what did they offer him to curse israel gold pots and pots of gold so the messengers of balak is basically a picture of enticement Okay so what is enticement is anything or anybody that causes you to consider sinning and what gives power to enticement it is desire okay whether it is no desire i mean peter could not be uh, enticed with money curse be you, he said oh i will give you let me also have this gift of laying hands and receiving and he said get lost with your money so peter could not be enticed but when he came to approval from the believing jews he could be enticed so everybody has their own desires so don't think that i cannot be enticed you will be enticed according to your desires so peter could be enticed for a reputation among the believers he could not be enticed with money okay understand how it works enticement and what gives power to enticement is our desire or the bible uses over there lust or desire so if you can deal with desire 
you are four steps away from death and four is always better than three. And what gives power to desire or lust is verse 14. When he is drawn away. Simple mathematics formula. Meaning if you are not drawn away, you are five steps away from death. And always five steps is better than four steps. Okay, so there are five steps. You are drawn away from something. You got a desire. It is enticed. You are tempted. You sin. And death comes. Let me show it to you. Second Samuel chapter 11. Verses 1 to 4. It happened in the spring of the year at a time when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab and all his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful to behold. David sent and inquired about the woman. Someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to her. She came to him. He lay with her, for she was okay. Let's go over there to verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year, at a time when kings go to battle, David remained at Jerusalem. Why did the whole thing happen? He was drawn away from what he was supposed to do. Simple way to overcome, just do what you are supposed to do. Nobody falls at their point of duty. Nobody falls. Nobody falls. That is why it is good to be busy doing what you are called to do. That's why the Bible says, whatever you get to do, do it with all your heart unto the Lord. That's the first step. If David had not been drawn away from war at a time when kings go to war, that's where it's happened. Okay, that's what he happens. And he didn't. He slept the whole day. Evening he arose. Okay. And what happens? There is a desire. And the desire is empowered or is enticed by a sight. What gives power to it? Something or somebody he saw. That other person has got nothing to do with it. Okay? This thing. And what happens? He's now tempted by it. And he has the power to give in to it. That is the issue. A lot of people don't because they don't have the power. But if they had the power. So God will not judge by whether you did it or not. He will judge you whether you will do it if you had the power. The pastor Vijay has this famous saying in Telugu, no? What is that? Vridha Nari Vridha Nari Pati Vrata Should be Yuvati Pati Vrata, that's a different thing. So you need to understand where there is no power, we don't do a lot of things. That does not mean we are holy. Okay? We are by situation 
no choice but be holy. So we did not make a choice there. Our free will is not coming in over there. If we had the power, then which way would we would have gone is how God looks at it. So please understand. Five steps away is always better. Okay, so people need to know their duty. Okay, people need to know their duty. What, what, no? So the first thing you should get up in the morning and ask God is, what do you want me to do? Like I said, the second question, if you see in many regional translations, Saul of Tarsus' second question is not there. I think they don't like that question he asks, what should I do? They have taken it out, no? Okay. Hmm? Always find something to do. Finding something to do. Okay? It's important. So that is liberty. Liberty, real, real liberty is staying five steps away from death. When you are four steps away from death, you have liberty, but it is not the same liberty as five steps. When you are three steps away from death, you still have liberty, but it's still not the same. Liberty itself in it's not the same. How you experience liberty is not the same. Depends upon how close to death you are. Okay? How close to death you are. So if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who keeps my commandments is who who loves me. And my commands are not burdensome. Okay? John 14 and verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. He He changes the grammar altogether. Okay? He says, you know what? You have one command. And you loved me and you obeyed it. You know what? I will be able to tell you more. That's the principle in the kingdom. He who has much will be given much. Why did he have have much? Because he, what he had, he applied it. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. If we don't know much about God, it's because we haven't used the little he showed us. Little as he showed us. Okay? That's how. He who has my commandments. Now it is not this thing. You have his commandments. How did you have his commandments? It's because you kept the ones which he told you earlier. So he's now telling you more. Why is he showing you more? Because he knows you love him. And you can be trusted. And keeps them. It is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved my father. And I will love him. And I will manifest myself to him. See, understand. Look at that. Okay? These are all loaded verses. So there are commandments. The word of the Lord are commandments. Not like in the law, legal sense. These are the commandments for the child of God. It will cause separation from and separation unto God. That is where our liberty lies. Our freedom lies. If you turn with me into Psalm 119, verse 44 and 45. So shall I keep your law continually, forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty. For I seek your precepts. Even as I am finding it out, I am still seeking. Why? I want to walk in freedom. I want to walk in freedom. Okay. It is simple. There are children sitting over here and we have no classes, all zooming. These are zoom babies. Okay. Not zombies, but zoom babies. Okay. So basically you are at home with your parents alone. You know what these children have to do to have liberty? Only thing they have to do, walk in absolute freedom, is just to do what the parents tell them. Nothing else. Absolute liberty. They don't have to do anything for freedom. Dada, what should I do? Mama, what should I do? 
Okay? And the more they see they are obedient, the parents will tell them, okay, do this also, do this also. And they can walk in more and more and more in liberty and love. It's as simple as that. Okay? When do you lose your liberty? When you don't do that. Then you lie. Then you cheat. Then you do a sloppy job. Okay? You do a sloppy job. Okay? Sloppy job. Okay, I'll tell you for young people. Okay, you have uh, you have uh, a calculator with you. Okay, calculator with you. Three thousand into five. Fifteen thousand divided by sixty. Okay, two fifty, right? Five thousand, or like let's say five thousand by two. Okay, divided by sixty. A simple thing. I just give you a math to exit. Okay, you know one of the ways you redeem time. You walk fast. You know how people walk to do something. Meaning for every step, you take three seconds when it would be done in one second. By the end of the day, you do not have time because you have lost your time. I always watch how people walk. And I know they will never have enough time at the end of the day because they are wasting time. You want to redeem time? Learn to do things fast. Walk fast. Because on an average, you will take 5,000 steps a day. And if you are going to take three seconds for every step, when it can be done, you have already lost two seconds per step. You know how much time you have lost through the day? Because you are slow? Because you are lazy? Want to redeem time? Walk fast. Move fast. Do things fast. You will see there is more than enough time to do everything God calls us to do. And even that itself separates us from the rest of the world. Rest of the world. Simple things. There are simple, practical things. Simple, practical things where you can save a little. Because God says the days are evil, redeem your time. And everybody's issue is we don't have time. God said, who said? You're wasting time. Where do I waste time? The way you walk. The way you work. Okay, simple. That was free, okay? You don't have to pay me for that. So liberty. Liberty comes from loving God and keeping his commands. And staying five steps away from death. You really, really want to experience liberty? You can. Liberty is being, we're talking about practical holiness, okay? Liberty is being set free from one law to a higher law. It is not being set free from one law and becoming lawless. Real liberty is being set free from one law to higher law. That is, there are two laws. There's the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics. When you move into the law of aerodynamics, you are free from the law of gravity. Sitting in a plane, nobody's worrying about falling down. The law of gravity doesn't even cross your mind. The only thing you're more concerned about not to fall in the plane. Thirty thousand feet above the earth and nobody's worrying about gravity. Think about that. Thirty thousand. While coming down a flight of stairs, you're very careful that you don't fly, fall. Well, thirty thousand feet above, nobody's worrying about the earth is so far away. You know why? Because one law has overcome the other law. That's the only way it works. Okay? Now come to Romans 8 and verse 1 and 2. 
There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How? Who do not walk according to the law of gravity, but walks according to the law of aerodynamics. That's our modern translation. Okay? What? There are two laws. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. How do you know? You're a child of God. How do you know? You know what really liberty is? Liberty is to live your life without condemnation. The biggest weight God's children carry or people carry in this world is the Lord of condemnation. Lord of condemnation. It is like the fear of gravity of falling down. Lord of condemnation. God says, you know what? When you walk in this higher law, the law of the spirit. You know what? You will always walk without condemnation. And that's basically what we need. Okay. And what happens? It liberates you. It brings freedom. Okay. Therefore, liberty is deliverance from what God did not intend me to do. To do what God intends me to do. There are two things. Liberty sets me free from not doing the things God does not want me to do. And it also frees me to do the things which God, both omission and commission, is taken care of. And then 2 Corinthians 3.17, what happens? The Lord is the Spirit. Why? Because He is the one who is leading you and you are obeying Him. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberty. It's simple, practical. Okay, The Lordship of Jesus Christ is established in our lives on a day-to-day basis through the Holy Spirit. We are free from condemnation. Free from condemnation. You look at any one of these children, any one of these little ones, okay? When they are not under condemnation, they don't walk. They just fly like butterflies in the house. They're very happy. You know why? There's no... On that hand, you scold them. The face falls. The hands droop. The weak knees are feeble. You have to use scripture and lift up your weak hands and feeble knees. You know what? You scold them and you tell them condemnation comes, the joy goes out. But if they live a life without condemnation, you will suddenly realize they are the most free beings on earth. Okay? Most free beings on earth. You know why are they so, so liberated? Because they are not condemned. They are not condemned. So they have to learn how to, and they have to understand this simple principle that, you know, if you don't want to be condemned, do what I tell you. And you, you will do what I tell you if you love me. This is the proof. Don't Your hugs are nice, I love your kisses, but after some time I forget it. Your real proof that you love me is you obey me. That is the proof of your obedience. Teach them early. Then they will learn to obey God. Learn to obey God. How do I do? How do I show I love God? God says, just obey me. Where did you learn? At home. At home. The proof of your obedience is not your hugs and kisses. That is a symbol of the affection. But the proof of it is your obedience. So our children are taught early in life that this is the proof of your obedience. It's very easy when they come to know Christ personally to change that and take that same thing into that relationship. It's simple, practical. Okay? In Jeremiah 28, verse 13. Okay? Now, Jeremiah 28 is a very interesting chapter. Okay? There's a false prophet called Hananiah and there's a real prophet called Jeremiah. Okay? The false prophet comes and prophesies falsely because that's what false prophets do. 
about the great victory and of all that they're going to have over Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. In two years' time, they will be absolutely free people and all. Jeremiah says, don't listen to him. It's foolishness. That is not what's going to happen. And this is what Jeremiah said. Go tell Hananiah. Thus says the Lord, you have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. Of iron. Now, we are not talking about Hanai and Jeremiah. We are looking at the principle of the kingdom of God here. Okay. If you turn to Matthew 11 and verse 29 and 30, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there are two yokes. There's a yoke of wood and the yoke of iron. And Jesus' yoke is a yoke of wood. It's very light. But if you break that yoke, what will come upon you in the name of liberty the world offers is the yoke of iron. One way or other, there is a yoke. If you take the yoke of wood upon you, the yoke of Jesus, it is very light. And in the long run, you will realize the burden is very, very light. But if you break it, it will be, it, you, won't, you don't actually become free. Because this is spiritual. You won't actually become free. What happens is, you, it's replaced by a yoke of iron. And this is how the enemy sets us up. Okay? Give me a simple example. Only girls here, but no boys here. All like our church, you know, like our birth rate, it's all girls only. <laughs> okay. Okay, but to understand for I mean a simple example is that no abstin abstinence from alcohol is a yoke of wood. Consumption of alcohol it's a yoke of iron. You won't know it now. You know it later. Okay. Young people should bear a yoke when they are young. Simple thing. Okay. When I was young, alcohol never bothered me. Though I had alcoholics all around me. Including in my own home. And then my friends. Of my friends, I think all, all of them drank. But it never bothered. So today, you know what? It doesn't bother at all. One thing I can guarantee you, you cannot entice me with alcohol or wine. Even when it is, when it is given free in first class in international flight. Free. Doesn't entice you at all. But imagine, if you were enticed when you were young, now you are older, you have power, you have money, you have privileges, and it is being offered. How will you stop it? How will you stop it? Your liberty is gone. You know what? Because you refused to wear the yoke of wood, now you are wearing a yoke of iron. Take that simple principle, apply it to anything in life. Anything in life. Anything. Apply it to anything. That's God's message through Jeremiah. The yoke of wood which I put on you. My yoke is light and it is not burdens. Okay. God's, the things which Jesus tells us to do are actually not burdens. I mean, it will feel very burdens. Burdens. Okay. Burdens. But he says, 
On the other hand, if you break that yoke, what will happen? You will replace it with a yoke of iron. Then what you need is deliverance. And much fasting, much prayer, much discipline. Much, much, much. So enemy comes and he brings in the first lie in the garden that liberty lies outside the rules that God has set. That's his lie. The spiritual content of his lie. Spiritual content of his lie. Okay, Like let us say Adam was a tripart being. Okay? He had a body, a soul, and spiritually he died. Let us say he died when he sinned. Let us say he was a tripart. So he has a body, but there is no flesh in it. So he cannot tempt him through the flesh. He has a soul, but there is no world for him to be tempted with the world. So what did he do? He touched his spirit and said, become like God. Now that is a very noble temptation. To the carnal man, he will appeal to the carnal. To the soulish man, he'll appeal to the soul. To the spiritual man, he'll appeal to the spirit. Become like God. But in the process of becoming like God, what he told him is that, you know, God has set a boundary and your liberty actually. You see, do you see God? He's the only free being. He's free. Do you want to be free like him? Break that rule. Because everything is sold to us in the name of liberty. Even Taliban has taken over Afghanistan to make the people free. (laughs) Everything is sold. Biden took over whichever way America to build back better. It has become worse. You cannot achieve in here. (laughs) Four years, we don't know what din it is. It is din or rat, we are not sure. So everything is sold to us in the name of liberty. You tell me one thing that you have bought behind it, there is some way liberty attached. If you put this on your face, you will be fairer. More people will appreciate your liberty. If you wear this, if you wear this, if you wear this. Everything, some kind of a liberty is put into it. Who is the first salesman? The devil. <laughs> liberty. Okay. There is even a brand of shoe wear called liberty. Are we getting the picture? This is what the devil does. He comes and sells. Until today, man has swallowed the lie. Okay? Now, if you turn to the next verse I gave you, there is a rage among the nations, literally. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds. Who's there? They is capital. Who's bonds? The father, the son and the whole. To heck with their rules. Let's break it. Then we will be free. Now Texas passed a law in their assembly. Supreme Court refused to stay it. Now all the women are on the street. My body, my choice. Because abortion has been restricted to six weeks. So they're mad. The nations are. Each country they are raging for different things. And each is sold in the name. To women abortion is sold as liberty. Afghanistan you have to cover from head to toe. That is sold to the women as your liberty. Otherwise we will break you. Everything is sold in the terms of liberty. 
And the nations are raging. Against who? Against God. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their gods from us. God says, church, do you believe that? That his gods restrain us or they gave us freedom. I remember an old time pastor saying that he says, this came so clear to him about God's liberty was he says, one Sunday morning or one day, bright morning, he was going for a walk and he saw behind a fence a little dog, I forgot the small, his pronouncing is difficult. Uh, that small little fellow. And outside was a huge bulldog. And the chihuahua was barking and barking and barking and barking. And he looked at him and God says, do you see that? That fellow thinks the fence is restricting his liberty. Well, this fellow has already set grace for him. <laughs> if that fence was in there, that little dog would be supper for this fellow. What is keeping him safe? That fence. And this is our problem. That was the problem in the prodigal son. The prodigal son thought the fence the father had put in his house was taking his liberty away. So he says, you know what? I don't want your rules. But I also don't have money. Why don't you give me money so that I can go and live free? But we know where he ended. Where he ended. Okay. This is, this is the whole idea. So when God says first be separate, He says be separate from the ways of the world, which promises you free liberty, but actually takes you to bondage. It is not liberty. It is actually bondage, slavery sold as liberty. Okay? He's, he's the biggest crooked salesman ever. He's the one who will take a 1990 model, give it a new paint job, change a few parts here and sell it as a new vehicle. And you pay through your nose, you take it five kilometers down, all you hear is dub, 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 and the vehicle stops. And suddenly you realize your liberty has gone. Liberty has gone. Please be very, very careful about these things because he, he deals with us. Efficiency. And what does God do? Verse 4. He who sits in the heaven shall laugh, and the Lord shall hold them in derision. If you ever think freedom lies on the other side, and you boast about it, God will laugh at you. God will laugh at you. He says, you're a fool. That's not where liberty is. Liberty lies on this side of the fence. Go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know what for children? All the children here? It's a yoke of wood. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's a simple yoke. Yoke of wood. It's not a yoke of iron. The yoke of iron will come when you break this. It will come. It will not come immediately. Like the prodigal son, it doesn't come immediately. It takes some time. Some time. And if you don't come to your senses, which I do believe most prodigals don't, and return. Why? Why did I say though? Because most prodigals do not come from loving homes. They come from dysfunctional homes. So there is no coming back. There is nothing to go back to. The prodigal son went back because he came from a very secure, loving home. So he had something to look back and say, you know what? Even the hired servants in my father's house are treated righteously by my father. But many children don't have anything to look back to for them to return. So you know what? They die in the pig pen. That's why you hear about 
15 suicides at the highest probably ever recorded just dying substance abuse among the young like never before you know so don't ever look at and says oh the prodigals will come back no if they have to come back be sure the home was a home where he wants to come back he has something or she has something to remember by remember by so be very careful about these things so children obey your that's a yoke of wood yoke of wood if you break it you will receive a yoke of iron let's look at that simple example first samuel chapter 2 22 that eli was old <coughs> he heard everything his sons did to all israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting so he said to them why do you do such things why does why does he say to them because he does not have the power to command them you see because he is compromised once you compromise you lose the power to command power you only say it becomes sayings okay sayings those who have not born a yoke of the lord when they were young when they read the bible they only see sayings those who have born the yoke they see the commands of the lord how you see even scripture demands upon how you have led your life you don't see it as sayings if you have borne the yoke of the lord you see it as commands you know this is good for me it's not that it is good for god what difference does it make to the god whether i am obedient or not it makes a difference to me you see it differently so he said to them why do you do such things for a hear of your evil dealings from all the people Oh no my sons for it is not a good report that i hear you make the lord's people transgress if one man sins against another god will judge him but if a man sins against the lord who will intercede for him nevertheless they did not heed the voice of their father because the lord desired to kill them okay please be careful about these things Okay. if you do not heed to the voice of your parents okay that means god has a different plan for your life to finish you off later he will hand you over into the hands of the enemy okay now don't take it personally okay if you're a child of god he will whack you all the way okay on the other hand there is another child this child has learned to obey his dad and mama at home is very small but one thing they taught him was to obey and then they put him in the temple and they went away and the bible says the child grew in stature in favor with both the lord and man why did he find favor with god because he was obedient he's got a yoke of what a yoke of wood he will never have a yoke of iron this boy will grow and die in a old age he will never have a yoke of iron okay now if you turn to first samuel chapter 4 10 and 11 so the philistines fought israel was defeated every man fled to his tent there was a great slaughter there fell of israel 30000 foot soldiers the ark of the god was captured and the two sons of eli hophni and phinehas died now what has happened the iron yoke has choked them they are dead in the battlefield they died You know why they died? Because they did not take the yoke of, <coughs> of wood. They died. You know why do why we die when we grow old? Because when we were young, we did not listen. 
when you were young in the Lord, or you got born again, and God put you in a church, and he put spiritual authority over you, you should have listened to them. Even if you have unbelieving parents, it's okay. That's fine. It doesn't matter. As soon as you're born again, you're put in a community of believers, and you're given instructions how to live what to do, what not to do. And when you are young in the Lord, I'm not talking about of your age, I'm talking about your spiritual age. You may have come to the Lord at 50, 50. It does not matter what age you come to the Lord. At that time, at that time, get the disciplines of the kingdom. The spiritual disciplines of the kingdom. Learn it and wear that yoke. It's a yoke of wood. Yoke of wood. It's not a yoke of iron. And if you don't wear that yoke of wood, which will stand you in good stead all the days of your life, later what will happen? You break that yoke of wood, that does not make you free. In the spiritual realm, you are replaced with a yoke of iron. Its effect will be only seen later. Okay. So simple. So, children. Now let us go in order to number two. Ephesians chapter five. 22 to 24. <clears throat> Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. First Peter chapter 3, 5, 6. For in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. So spiritually, God says submission is an ornament. Now who doesn't want ornament? Can I give you a pearl necklace, God says. Of course. Is it free? God says, yes. Where do I get it? He says, just submit. Okay. God's ornaments from spiritual realm are different. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and not afraid with any terror. Let me explain to you, practical terms. Find me a woman who does not submit. She lives her life in insecurity, fear, suspicion, and misery. You always be suspicious. Always be miserable. Always will be fearful. Why did Sarah live without anywhere? Compared to modern women, what did Sarah go through? <laughs> but she was not afraid. Not afraid. God wouldn't allow the spirit of, spirit of fear was upon Abraham. Spirit of fear was not upon Sarah. Why did that happen? Because you know what? She wore a yoke of wood. What does it? Submit your husband. What? You know, what things? All things. You have to put her in her culture, okay? In her culture, you have to put her and see. Don't put her in our culture because we know much more than Sarah knew in our day. We have much more understanding of the word of God, the ways of God. They did not. So each one put them in their own time. Don't do a speed machine thing and put Sarah into 21st century and says, how could Sarah do that? No, let her live in her time. Okay, we don't want to bring her because you will all be jealous because at 90 also she was beautiful. <laughs> That kings coveted her. Okay. So simple thing. This is a yoke. God says, you wear this yoke of wood. You know what? It doesn't matter what your husband, I'm not talking about physical violence. Okay. And those kind of, always I say, stay away. 
you need intervention. I'm not talking about physical violence. I'm talking about unbelieving husbands, inconsiderate husbands, all that. Whatever terms you want to put there, except violence, okay? You put over there. But if a woman learns to put this wooden yoke, you know what? She'll be free. She'll be free. But if she does not, she breaks that yoke of wood, she doesn't realize she's wearing a yoke of iron. Always in fear. Always insecure. Always insecure. When will my marriage break? How long can I live like this? When will he leave? Always doubt, suspicion, fear, misery. So, God's ways are not our ways. It does not make... uh, We do not understand it until we practice it. Otherwise, we'll break the yoke of what we call it wood and replace it with a yoke of iron. So when we are talking about be separate, Bible is saying be separate from the ways of the world. Ways of the world has many ways in which the enemy has fooled the masses, even within the church. Now let's go to the third category. I'm going in the order, okay? Um, lower to higher, not in terms of, uh, I mean, let's not get into that. Ephesians <laughs> chapter 5. Okay, order. We just say order. God's order. 5. 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. I like this just as. Okay. I like it in Nepali. Jasari. For, um, forgive us our debts just as we forgive those who debt against us or sin against us. Just as. Okay. If the just as is in there, we will all justify I'm the most loving husband in the world. The problem is there is a just as there. That puts us in trouble. Okay, Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify. Okay, Now we got the word sanctify, meaning set apart and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he should be wholly set apart and without blemish. Okay? So the question is, where does liberty lie? Where does the liberty lie? Let's read 28 and 29 too. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Let me ask you this question. Now this is to the husbands. Okay, Why did Jesus sanctify the church? Yeah, for himself. But why does he sanctify himself? Why? Because he himself is sanctified. You getting the picture? Jesus is holy. Jesus is holy. And he is sanctifying the church for himself. Understand, okay? Carefully understand. Jesus is holy. So he sanctify us, us so that one day we'll be become like him and then we can walk with him and we can enjoy him and he can enjoy us. That is the reason. That is the reason. Okay? We don't understand that. We will not sanctify ourselves. Okay? Understand. Okay? Let us say, parents are 
it's like let's put in American corner. It's supper time. Okay. And mama says, children, everybody come. And children come running from outside. What do the mama say? Go wash yourself. Okay. Now the question is, can't you eat without washing? Of course you can. But the problem is dad is seated there, mom is seated there, they are pristine clean. And four dirty rogues come in. Now the simple question is, you want to eat with us? You want to eat outside? You want to eat with us, sanctify yourself and sit with us and eat so that you can enjoy the meal and enjoy us. You're getting it, really? But the problem here happens is here. I'm telling you the real problems in marriage happens here is that, you know what? The man has to love himself. A man who does not love himself the way God loves man cannot love his wife. Because he makes arbitrary rules. If a man is not separated from and unto God and sanctify himself and loves that sanctity, he truly cannot sanctify his wife. Because he is setting his own standard, because he is now asking from God and not receiving because he wants to spend it on his own pleasures and not God's standards. That is the issue. With men, that is the issue. With the men, the whole issue is that they don't really love themselves the way God loves man. Why is Jesus sanctifying the church? Because he is holy. Are you getting the picture? So if a man does not love holiness, he truly cannot love his wife and make her holy. Man has to love holiness. It is the man is the head of the house. Practical terms, it's just a positional term. Spiritually, he becomes a head when he sanctifies himself. Okay, sanctifies. Because Christ sanctified himself. He tells his disciples in John chapter 70, for your sake, I sanctified myself. Yeah, 29. For your sake, I sanctified myself. Okay, he says, so has, for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. What is he saying here practically? He is telling the disciples, I showed you a way. We all need practical because we are all imitators. So he said, I showed you how to be sanctified practically so that you can look at me and say, oh, this is how Jesus sanctified. This is how I will sanctify. So men need to sanctify themselves. As long as men do not sanctify themselves, truly they cannot love their wives. Truly they cannot love their wives. Then it just, you just become a legalist. Just become a legalist. Okay? Because you go back, what does the Bible say? There. Okay? Yeah, um, yeah, go back higher over there. How does he sanctify? Okay. Yeah, verse 26. Husband, love your wives, okay, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Okay, water by the word. Okay, simple thing. If the husband has not washed himself by the same word and cleansed, how does he use that word to cleanse his family? The simple question. How does he? Okay. How does he? We are talking about living. This is not a courtroom. In the courtroom, nobody asks whether the judge is holy. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Though to become a judge, due process of law, he's checked his entire thing is checked. I mean, the the most difficult is to become a judge in America. 
Okay. Because you are grilled. Your entire FBI cross-checks your entire life. So are you worthy to sit on that seat? Okay. Now we are talking about not that. Okay. The judge, nobody checks about his record. He only goes by the law. But we are not judges. We are not judges. We are people. God's people. So God says over here, he first sanctifies himself. He first separates himself. He loves himself. He loves holiness. Okay. Otherwise, you know what? Imagine the father has come from the mill. The mother has come from the farm. They both are dirty. They're sitting at the table and they tell the children, wash your hands and come. What do you have in wash your hands? Don't tell me whether I have washed or not. Just do as you are told. Children will do it. Now, it's not because you set a model for them, but because they are afraid of the consequence. You didn't set a model for them. So Jesus said, you know what? I set a model before you. I set a model before you. Okay? I set a model before you. Okay? Are you getting the picture of what God is talking about? So you need to realize, in the kingdom of God, be separate goes first to the man. From the man to the wife. From the wife to the children. That's how it goes. Be is separate. It's always given. That's why you realize you shall not eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. God only told Adam. Only told Adam. He didn't tell Eve. He should have gone from Adam to Eve. And he was reaching for the fruit. He should have said, no, don't do it. Instead, he listened to her voice. He did not heed to God's voice. Okay. So when God comes, after they have fallen, he doesn't go to Eve. What did he ask Adam, where are you? Did you do what I told you to not to do? Did you eat of that? Okay. So you realize Genesis chapter 3 still works out until Jesus comes. He first comes to the man. Did you sanctify yourself? Did you separate yourself? No, Lord. But I hear you every day commanding your children to separate. Commanding your wife to separate. (laughs) So Jesus comes and says, you know what? I am separate and holy. But for your sake, I practically separate it so that you will know what it is like. For your sake, not for my sake. I am holy. See, even the Lord's prayer. Let me tell you the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer is for us, not for Jesus. Jesus never prayed that prayer. Let me tell you straight away. Because he had no sins to be asked to be forgiven. He would never pray that prayer. For For he was without sin. So it is for us, not for him. Okay. Okay. It is not for him. It is for us. He never sinned. He was tempted at all points and did not sin. Okay. So understand where we are coming from. Okay. Where we are coming from. This is how it works. That's why we went to the lower deck first and went to the middle deck and came to the upper deck. Because if you believe you are the head, the onus is upon you. Onus is upon you. So a man first sanctifies himself. Okay, like Jesus did. He separates himself from the ways of the world. He separates himself to the Lord. And then from that position, he sanctifies his wife. Otherwise, he cannot. She may submit to him. And she's right when she submits. But you are wrong. She's right, but you are wrong. 
You are wrong. He does not have the power to sanctify his wife because he himself is not separated. That's why the Bible says he loves himself, nourishes us. And look to that word, two nice words. Hmm? 28, 29. Yeah. Okay. What does he do? For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. What is he talking about? Now, when you talk about the flesh, don't think about the works of the flesh. That is not what he talks about here. You know, How well does he take care of himself? Okay, so it's meaning. If you put that premium, a man puts that premium upon his soul, in that same manner he will put a premium upon his family's soul and he will try to sanctify them. You have you have to stand from that position and do it. Okay? That's how it works. The husband is set apart to God. And he wants his wife to be set apart to God. Then only they can fellowship with God and with one another. Okay? There are lots of homes, good homes. But there isn't much fellowship. You want a real genuine fellowship? You need to be set apart. Man needs to be set apart from God, to God, from the world unto God. The woman needs to be set apart from the world unto God. Then they can both fellowship. Otherwise, fellowship doesn't take place. There may be peace in the house. But peace, there is no in-depth fellowship. In-depth fellowship. The more we separate from and separate unto God, God is able to fellowship with us. God is able to fellowship with us. Because I told you, the intention behind all of this, remember, the intention behind all of this is, is that we are able to walk with God. We are able to fellowship with God. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So you bring now that lessons of sanctification to your children. You tell them. You tell them. Okay? You tell them. You teach them. The, the, the training part is given to the fathers. Okay? The fathers are in there, the mothers take over, but it's primarily given to the fathers. So the father is the source of separation in the family. But first he separates himself. And when he has not separate himself, he's positionally, spiritually, he's not able to sanctify either his wife or is he able to sanctify his children. So the weight lies on the man. Weight lies on the man. The weight of the woman is only to submit. The weight of the children is only to obey. The weight of the man is to lead. Okay, it is to, it's on him. He has to lead in all these things. Okay, please understand. This is not legalism. Legalism is adding something to salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith and faith alone, grace alone. You add anything to salvation, it becomes legalism. Legalism, this is not legalism. So when God says do not love the world, it's because it destroys your sanctity. And it affects your fellowship. One with God and two with one another. Okay, imagine, imagine a husband who loves the world and a woman who does not. You know what happens? He has no fellowship with God and his fellowship with his woman is always affected. Okay. So when God says do not love the world, 
or the things in the world because it will affect your worship and it will affect your fellowship. It will affect. All these things affect. And when people are not, see, our, never look at a Hindu family or a Muslim family. They are much more happy and peace because what is demanded of them in this world is very little. So they can live much more happier than us. Really. But what we are able, they will never be able. They will never be able to fellowship like two believing couple can fellowship. They will never be able to worship. And they will never be able to bring the kingdom of God down. So their marriage will never compare with ours. Most of these Hindu simple people are they're all happy in their house. <laughs> nothing over there. But there's nothing demanded also from them. Okay? Nothing demanded. It's like these little children sitting here happy about school until they know what class ten and twelve is like. But with us, it's a different thing. What we can actually enjoy in our marriages, what we can enjoy in a walk with God, for they have religion. We don't have religion. We have a walk with God. So understand where God is coming from. Okay, so don't compare yourself. This is not legalism. This is a walk with God. It affects our fellowship with one another. It affects our worship. If we are not separated. The first law of relationship. First law, I'm putting it law of rela- any relationship. First law of relationship is Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now, this is a law for all time. This is not for Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve had nobody to leave. So this is not for Adam and Eve. So when God is mentioning this, he's mentioning it for all mankind and all relationship. In any relationship, if you want a deeper relationship with anybody, there is always a leaving. Always a leaving. Without leaving and cleaving, you cannot have a relationship. Okay? It's superficial. It's impossible. The first law a relationship with God or with man. Any relationship. Okay, I'm telling you. First, it is leave. That means be ye separate from. Be ye separated to. Paul will take it all the way in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. He brings the human relationship and then he puts it across and says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So understand, the first law of relationship applies to Christ and the church. You cannot have fellowship or worship without separation. You cannot. It's impossible. Like today, if you want, whether you are physically present here or online. If you have to listen to the word of God, which is part of your worship, you have to separate yourself. You have to separate yourself. And be here. Or separate from whatever you are doing. And be tuned on to the YouTube or Facebook, wherever you are watching. There has to be a separation. Without separation, it is not possible. So the question is, why do the nations rage? We saw in Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? Someone. Now let us go to those who don't rage. These are the ones who rage and those who don't rage. Someone. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who does not stand in the path of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of the scornful. So the first three things are separation from. First three things, separation from. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Do not sit in the stand in the path of the sinners. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. The next two are separation unto. He delights in the law of the Lord. This is not separation from. This is separation unto. He is left certain things and is cleaving to certain things and in his law he meditates day and night. So even if you start with the first psalm, the rules are the same. You have to be separated from something and you have to be separated unto God. If you are separated from God, you will be separated to the world. If you are separated from the world, don't stay there. Be separated unto God. Unto God. Okay? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. And what is the result? Verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. It doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter what he does. Okay. So while the nations are raging, this under set of people who are peaceful. They're at peace. They have fellowship with one another and they have fellowship with God. And whatever they do, it does not matter. Maybe a simple menial thing, even that prospers. So you can take Joseph, put him anywhere, whatever he does prospers. Yet in his father's house, he's separate from his brothers. Yet he's loving and kind and willing to serve them to any extent. Understand this both has to be there. You cannot be separate and be a Pharisee. Who sees the man lying on the road and walks away looking like that. He's not that. He's loving and kind to his brothers. He goes 70 miles to serve his brothers. Okay? He's separated from his brothers. Separated unto God. And yet he is the one who's serving the brothers. So whatever he does prospers. Then he's sold as a slave. He's a slave. Yet you will see whatever he touches prospers in that house. Why? Because he's good to them. He doesn't, he's not a kamchor. Okay. He doesn't care who gets the benefit. Okay. I'm going to do here with all my might. He keeps himself separate from Potiphar's household of slaves. Because when he's falsely accused, he's accused by his name, the Hebrew. What does that mean? He kept himself separate. Hebrew. Kept him the separated one. The one who crossed the river. The separated one. He's called by his separation. The Hebrew. Okay. Then he's thrown into prison. Whatever he touches prospers there too. He's in prison. He's in chains now. But later, years later, when Pharaoh has that dream and the butler remembers it, he also calls him by his separation. There was Arundhati. There was a Hebrew. A Hebrew. In the prison. You see he was separated always. And separated unto. Whatever he did prospered. And if you look at him. It did not matter where you put him. He was always loving and kind to the people that were around him. That's what I said he was not a Pharisee. Because if you are separated from. And not separated unto God. What do you become? You become a Pharisee. You become a Pharisee. And God hates Pharisees. 
not Pharisees, he hates Pharisaical behavior. Okay? He hates Pharisaical behavior. You become legalists. You become lawyers. Not like Deepika, but lawyers. (laughs) Lawyers. What do lawyers do? We'll tell you where you have broken the law. (laughs) Are we getting the picture? So the pictures are there. Okay, these are these are simple pictures, but they are powerful pictures in the Bible. We need to understand because the day of the Lord is coming, and as we coming, we are being separated more and more and more and more. That's not enough. We are separating more and more unto God. In the meantime, the Bible warns: be careful. Outside, what you will see is lawlessness, and the love of many will grow cold. And that's why you have to be very, very careful. You could put him in any dire situation. The love of Joseph. It never grew cold. And even if he hasn't seen his brothers for 21 years, when he sees them, he goes inside and he weeps. It never went cold. And all he can remember them doing to him is arm and evil. But it doesn't change his affections. doesn't change his affections at all. So understand how it works. These things have to fall into place. Otherwise, we will be like, you know, caught in this trap. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. We know this very well, but today there's something more powerful than that. Okay. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? So what is the stress on? Why should we not be unequally? Why should we separate? Because it affects our communion and our fellowship. Fellowship is stage one, and depth of fellowship is communion. It affects your fellowship and communion. Let us say you are a husband who doesn't like the world and your wife is gone shopping and each time the phone is ringing, the SMSs are coming as the credit card is being swiped and then she comes home with all these packages and she's so excited telling, I bought this, I bought it and he's, huh, huh. Is there a fellowship there? This is, real, this is communication. But there is neither fellowship nor communion. Okay. Now I'm just using an example. Go shop when you have to and all this. No, I mean, don't go shop online, order. Why you want to expose yourself to COVID? The next variant, MU. I don't know what MU. I thought OU was there. Now MU has come. So if MU comes to OU, what will it be? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. So you see, fellowship and communion is affected. Whose fellowship and those who are not separated, their fellowship and communion is affected. See, Joseph's fellowship and communion was never affected. It was his brother's fellowship and communion that was affected. Both with him and both with their father. With their father, what? They all become hypocrites. Pretended they cared about Joseph. When Joseph really cared about them, see, Joseph had a real, honest, transparent life before his father and before his brothers and before God. He loved his father, he loved his brothers, he was willing to serve them. The brothers pretended. Both, when father is around, they'll all smile at Joseph. When father is not around, right? He'll take you behind the school. That's what Biden promised Trump. I will take you behind the school and hit you. One of those, you know, I'm talking about. This is a typical American thing, you know, when boys, this thing, you know, they say, after school, we'll see you behind the school. Okay. 
That's what the brothers were planning. They were planning more than that. They were planning murder. But before the father, they are hypocrites. Remember when they killed the animal? Is this your son's coat? And father is crying bitterly. They are all trying to console. Life of hypocrisy. There is no fellowship. There is no communion. You know, when you don't have fellowship and communion, but you are still together, what do you have? Hypocrisy. Two hypocrites. In a Greek play. Imagine what's happening even in a house, in a home, in a church. And God is sitting there and watching. Sitting there and watching. But look at the powerful verses. I love verses 11 and 12 before this. Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Rebukes, all this rebukes so far. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. You are restricted by your own affections. Did you get it? You are not restricted by us. We are willing to deeply fellowship with you. But your affections for the world is restricting your fellowship with us. We are not restricting you. And God says the same thing to us. I am not restricting you. The door of heaven is open. Come boldly. Come this thing. But he says you what? Your affections is restricting you. What is restricting? Fellowship and communion. Your affections. The apostle has practically imbibed the nature of Christ. He's saying, you know what? Our hearts are open. Our hearts are open. It affects. It really affects fellowship. It really affects communion. With the depth of communion God is able to give to us. The depth. You know, this man loved God. As willing to go to any extent to commune with God. So the Bible says he was caught up to the third heaven and he heard things that could not be uttered. Only for you. I want to tell you lots of things, Paul. You know, I was waiting for 6,000 years, 4,000 years to get a guy to whom I could talk. What I couldn't tell Moses, what I couldn't tell Abraham, I can't tell you. But tell you, Paul, don't tell anybody. It's just for between you and me. Nobody. The depth of revelation, the depth of fellowship God is willing to go. But who restricts? Not God. We restrict our fellowship with him through our own affection. You bring it down to earth, it is the same thing. A man and a woman, the husband and the wife, the second most possible intimate fellowship communion. What restricts the communion? Your affections. Your affections. Restrict Restrict your fellowship. Your affections restrict your communion. Okay. So this, these are powerful verses. Very, very powerful verses. That's what the apostle is saying. You're not restricted by us. You are restricted by your own affections. Okay. So in 614, what you have is those two words, fellowship and communion. You know, communion with God. And communion of believers are affected. But on the other hand, verse 17, God says, If you come down, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. And what happens? I'll be a father to you and you shall be my sons. And another level of relationship is offered. I'll be a father to you. He says, come apart. From among them. That does not mean that we go to a mountain and live separate from others. Joseph was with his brothers, living in his father's house, but he was separate. 
and he refused to touch anything unclean which they were touching. They were talking, doing a lot of monkey tricks behind the father's back, bringing evil. He refused to be touched by those unclean things. Though he lived with them. We are not asked to leave the world. We are in the world. But God is saying, you know what, you will be zealous for my name. You will be among them, but you will not be part of them. Do not touch anything and I will receive you. And you know how did God receive Joseph? He gave him two dreams. At 17, imagine, anybody who is 17 or less than 17 here? Less than 17? Yeah, see, so many children less than 17 here. Imagine by the time you reach 17, you know your entire life's purpose from God. Entire life's purpose from God. Why? What did he do? He only did this. He separated himself, refused to touch anything unclean. And God told him, this is who you will be. I'll reveal to you. I'll reveal to you what you will be. See, much of our confusion, purposeless life, is because we haven't heard from God. And we are not able to hear from God. It's not because God does not want to speak to us. We have restricted him from speaking to us by our own affections. Our own affections. And you know what? We don't hear and we just, what we say in English, meander through life. While his yoke is very easy, his yoke is a yoke of wood. It is very easy, it is very light, and it is not burdensome. Whatever he calls you to do. So as we close, coming to the closing stages, primarily, because we are talking about why do I need to be separate? Why should I be separate? Because separation is fundamental to communion. You cannot have communion without separation. You cannot have communion with anybody without separation. There are primarily four relationships for every one of us sitting here. When we were born, we have a baby upstairs. Gracie. Gracie Kuti is there upstairs. Okay. <laughs> When Gracie is born, her relationship is she is a creature. God is her creator. God is a creator and she is a creation or a creature of God. Creator, creature. The day she gets saved, gets saved, she becomes a child of God child of God. But even as a child of God, what does she know? Galatians 4.1. Okay. I say the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he's a master. The child is just a slave. When you're born again, when we are born again, we are all slaves. We didn't understand anything. Are we a child of God? Yes. Do you know anything about God? No. What does Joanna and Amman and Sarah know about their parents? <laughs> Hardly anything. They think they know. They really don't know. Can the parents really have an in-depth conversation with them? They won't understand anything. They'll be bored. Can God really talk to us? He won't be bored. We will be. Because we won't understand what he's saying. So what are we? We are a slave. So though she's a child, she's a child, she's a slave. Child, slave. So it is not a... It is, it is, it is not primarily a father-child relationship. It is more like a master-slave. Okay, what do children get from parents all day? Orders. Order. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this, do this, do this, don't do this. Good, you did that. Hm, terrible, you did not. That's what in the beginning. Oh, 
You of little faith, you of little faith. Oh, great is your faith. That's all they could hear from Jesus. Why? All slaves. Bache. And what does 1 John say? Remember in chapter 2, what do children know? Children only know sins are forgiven. It's the only thing they know. Mommy is not angry with me today. Why? I didn't do anything bad. Mommy is angry with me today. Why? I did something bad. That's all they know. So creator, creature. God, child. Okay? Matthew 27, verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabastani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the only time he calls him his father God. You know why? Because he's a sinner. He's broken. The law. You get the picture? He's broken the law. He's not calling my father, my father. He's saying, my God, my God. Why? Because... Sin is upon him. So what happens to a child? The child always looks at the parent and as a judge. Even if the mother is upset about something, the child looks at, now what have I done? <laughs> There's really no communion. Genuine communion, fellowship is not there. See, honestly, when our children are small, we enjoy our children more than the children enjoy us. Why? They are not able to enjoy us because they are not able to come to our level. But we are able to go down to the level and enjoy them. That's what God does with us. God enjoys his children, his youth and his father. See, because he comes down to our level. He enjoys us, but we don't enjoy him. We don't enjoy him. So that is the second level of relationship. First is creator, creature. Second is God child. And third is what we saw in Second Corinthians chapter 6, 17 and 18. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So Joseph had, Jacob had 12 children. One separated himself from the rest. He touched nothing unclean. So you know what? He had a relationship with his father which was different from the other sons. Had a relationship with the father which was different. So I believe the father could instruct him in the ways of God. He looked at the other sons. He couldn't instruct them. You cannot instruct people who do not have a relationship. This is not a classroom. This is spiritual. It does not, though the church is a classroom, the church does not work like a classroom. In the classroom, if you do not have in the church, if you do not have a relationship with God and relationship with the pastor, what do we mean relationship with? If you are offended with the man of God, you will not receive the teaching. It will block you. The spiritual part is gone. The spiritual part is gone. So if you do not have a relationship with God, the word of God just falls upon us like water on a duck's back. It just goes away. It never penetrates inside. You know why? Because we do not have a relationship with God. And I believe Jacob couldn't talk to his other 11, 10 children, but he could talk to Joseph, though he's a father to all. And the others were much before them because they all had offenses in their heart. And I believe it was fed in by the mothers. By the mothers. Leah must have fed something in. Bilha must have. What was the other one's name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Zilpa. They all, all this past fed into the children because they are all like, you know, because they know this man loves has eyes only for Rachel. 
and not for the others. So the wife, mothers are offended. There's no relationship with the wife and the husband. And they carry this on and the children have no relationship with the father. And there is one boy over there whose mother is dead and he has no offense in his heart. Before, before it could be put into his heart, God mercifully took his mother out. Okay, and so he has a relationship with his father, so father is able to teach him. You need to understand how much important communion or fellowship is before you can be taught. Before he can be taught. Otherwise we cannot be taught. God cannot teach us. Why was the Pharisees, God said, forever hearing, 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 never understanding. Because they never had fellowship with God, nor had they fellowship with man. Okay, these things are fundamental Okay, that's where doctrine is put at the top. Immediately fellowship is put close second. Because your fellowship will determine how you understand doctrine. If you really, really, if you were a science student, if you really, really had to understand the theory class, it was tested in the practical. In the practical, you understood what happened in the theory class. It was in the practical aspect of it. I still remember when this, you know, he starts something on that robot and this, you know, 24 hours he is sitting there and sleeping in the lab, right? Yeah, some of his experiments takes 48 hours before he gets a result. How did the experiment start? Because on a, based on a theory. Now the theory has to be proved in the, in the computer. Whether it really works or not. God says doctrine is proved in fellowship. And where there is no fellowship, doctrine does not ever sink in. And therefore you see people hearing and studying and hearing and studying and they're going nowhere. The Pharisees knew the Bible by heart. And they were teachers of the law. But they had no fellowship, either with God or with man. But if you looked at them, they were separated people. But they were not separated unto anybody. Getting the picture? So this is the third creature, creator, creature, God, child, God, father, son. Father, daughter. And then there's a fourth one. James 2, 21 to 23 and Exodus 33, 11. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you not see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect and scripture was fulfilled. Which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called Friend of God. Now he's not being called son of God. He's being called friend of God. That is the ultimate level of communion. Friend to friend. Where God calls a man, you're not just my creature. You're just not my child. You're not just my son. You're my friend. You are my friend. Okay? And the same thing happens in marriages. You have the husband who is like a creator, treats his wife like a creature. Or a husband who is like God, treats his wife like a child. Or he treats his wife like a daughter. Or does his wife become his friend? Does her husband become her friend? This You take this into life. Okay? Now Exodus 33 verse 11. God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Do you know that in the entire Old Covenant only two people are called friends of God? 4,000 years of human history, God said, I had two friends. 
two friends who were willing to separate and go all the way up and become my friend. I was willing to be friendly with everybody, but only two were willing to be friendly with me. One was Abraham, the other was Moses. And you will see the level of separation at the end. Abraham would take his only son and bind him onto the altar. He says, you know what? I will not let anything or anybody come between you and me. This is it. I will die to it. And God says, my friend, my friend. And you know about Moses, he read Hebrews to the level he goes because he saw him who was invisible. <coughs> okay? Fourth level. So this is what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 14. I will say why it's, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So the question is, weren't they doing what he was commanding them all the time? Yes, but he didn't call them friends. So what does he mean by that? But all this while we were doing what you told us. You never called us friends, you called us servants. He said, that was different. I could only command you as servants. He could really never tell you the intention of my heart. Now I can. I can. Turn to, what does it mean? Intimacy brings revelation. And revelation leads to real service. We all serve God, but we don't serve God the same way. There's a service of God that reveals, it comes from intimacy and from revelation. Genesis 18 verse 17. <clears throat> the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? God is going to do something. God is going to do something. And he says, you know what? Shall I hide from Abraham? He's my friend, right? Got one friend on earth. Shall I tell him? There is an intimacy. Out of intimacy comes a revelation. Out of revelation <laughs> comes a service. What does Abraham, as soon as he knowledge, what does he do? He starts interceding. Where does the intercession come from? It comes from revelation. Where does the revelation come from? Because he is not a creature. He is not a child. He is not a son. He is a friend. And God is able to share. Okay, turns to Numbers 11, 14. <clears throat> and Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you a nation great and mightier than the question is, what does God have to tell him? He could just do it, right? Israel gone. Yeah. Moses looks, I'm the only one left. That's what he should have done, right? He didn't do that. He told Moses, why? You're my friend. There's an intimacy between God and Moses, which leads to a revelation, immediately leads to intercession. Immediately Moses stands in the way and says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. You do that. You know what? He's very zealous about, you're very zealous about your friend's name. Very zealous about your friend's name. That's why David is my friend. All these years, everybody tried everything with David. So many people. David says, I don't want to hear, I don't want to know, PJ is my friend. Period. You know what Moses is saying? God, I'm zealous about your name. You not sitting in heaven may not be bothered, but I get bothered when people talk about you. What will the Egyptians say about you? I mean, if Egyptians say anything, is God bothered? No, but his friend is bothered. His friend is bothered. Moses is bothered. We need to understand 
how it works. Why communion fellowship is so important? Because eternity is connected with communion. And the question is that what level will we communicate with God in eternity, all through eternity? Am I going to communicate with God as a child? Am I going to communicate with God as a young man? Or am I going to communicate God as like a father? Three levels of communication in 1 John chapter 2. How am I going to? And the, how do we know? You know how you communicate here. It's just a shadow of how you will communicate there. Okay. So what's the point? The point is there is a communion. Out of communion comes a revelation. Out of that revelation comes a service, a work. And do you know what is the greatest work on planet earth? Intercession. Romans 8.34 <clears throat> Who is he condemns? It is Christ who died for the more is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. What is Christ doing? He's making intercession. He's making it. Hebrews 10, um, 7.25 Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So if you look at what is that Christ is doing now, what is the high point of his service, the greatest service that God is doing? Christ is interceding for us in heaven. Intercession 24-7. Christ is interceding. Let's go to Romans 8, 26-27. The next person in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do? He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So whether the Holy Spirit does many things, the greatest work he does on earth is intercession. And the greatest work Jesus does in heaven is intercession. We're getting the picture? Okay. So the greatest work that God wants us to do on earth is intercession. And real intercession comes only out of an intimacy. And intimacy is a result of, uh, out of revelation. Revelation is a result of intimacy. And you cannot have intimacy unless you have left and cleave to God. Last two verses for today. Genesis 5.24. Oh, three verses I have. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Enoch walked with God. One line. What did Enoch do? Enoch walked with God. He was not for God took him. Jude 1.14.50. And Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, Behold the Lord comes with tens and thousands of his saints. For what? To judge, to execute judgment. And Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Question is, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he comes to God, must believe. So Enoch pleased God. Simple question. We know Abel. We know what Abel did. We know Noah. We know what Noah did. We know Abraham. We know what Abraham did. We know, this is the list in Hebrews 11. We know Sarah. We know what Sarah did. We know Isaac. We know what Isaac did. We know Jacob. 
we know what Jacob, this is the list, okay? We know Joseph, we know what Joseph did, we know Moses, we know what Moses did down the line. We know Enoch, what did he do? He interceded for 300 years. He walked with God and God revealed his heart to him. And out of that walk arose an intercession because he was interceding for 6,000 years of humanity because he knew all the judgments that were coming, including the second judgment of Jesus Christ. He knew it all. That is why there is nothing written about Enoch other than the fact he walked with God. The Bible says God was pleased with him to the level that he took him alive. What was that his work that did him? That God was pleased with him. What did he do for 300 years? What did he do for 300 years? You know when Enoch was taken? His father was alive. His grandfather was alive. If I am right, his great-grandfather was alive. His son was alive. Everybody was alive. God just took him along. Took him along. We are waiting for rapture. I am talking to you the standard of rapture. There is a separation from. There is a separation unto. And there is a communion. In that communion, there is a revelation. In that revelation, that is a service that is of God. That is of God. Do we understand what God is saying? Be holy. As I am holy. Because without holiness, no man will see God. Which talking about seeing is talking about communion. <laughs> it is not about seeing God. Everyone will see God. But everybody won't see God the same way. Right? The three of Jesus' closest disciples had the privilege of seeing Jesus differently. Only Peter, John and James could say that. We saw him transfigured. Why? It was because of their communion. They walked separately from the rest nine. So we'll all see God. But we'll not see God the same way. We'll not see where. So this is, that's what I'm talking about. When we say, be separated, God says, be separate. what motivates us? And what is the reward? It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he is. He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Ask the question, Abraham, what's your reward? Karos, my friend. Moses, what's your reward? What did you get? After leaving the throne of Egypt and wandering in the desert, what did you get? He said, you know what? Communion. Fellowship with God. How? Face to face. You getting the picture? That's the whole purpose. We don't get these fundamentals. We will not long after. We will not apply the first part. Be separate. Be separate. You take these four principles, you can put it into your home too. And you know what? This is what I want. Out of that intimacy will come revelation. Out of the revelation will come a service. That is what the Bible says in First Peter 3, 7. Husbands, live with your wives with understanding. How can you live with understanding unless you have intimacy and there is revelation? Most people say, I don't even understand my wife. Wife says, I don't understand my husband. Where is their service? There's no service. So what are we doing? We are doing what we think the other person needs. We don't know. We think. We think. We do not know. And much of Christian service is also like that. We do things for God what we think He wants. Why? 
we did not, he did not restrict himself. If you don't remember any words, remember Corinthians 6, 11 and 12. Our hearts are open. Wide. The most powerful verse I read this morning was this too. Struck to my mind. We have spoken openly to you. There's nothing in our heart against you. We've been tough with you. We've scolded you all that. But you know, you look into your heart. We love you. You are not restricted by us. We are not restricted. But you are restricted by your own affections. Your own affections. You know what? Same thing is true with God. We restrict communion with God by our own carnal affections or soulish affections. Can be soulish also. God says, deal with that. I am here waiting. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just come to you. We thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Father. We see through your word and through your spirit how much you long to fellowship with us, to commune with us. And for that extent, so that we could walk with you again. It was not to save us from hell. It was so that man could walk with God again. You went to the cross. You went to the cross. Help us to see the purpose of the cross. Not to just save us from the power of sin, but that man could walk with God again. Because when sin came in the garden, what was lost? Adam lost his walk with God. Adam lost his walk with Eve. And if that walk is not restored, we still have not understood the cross. And I pray that walk would be restored in every life, every home, and all our churches. That man would walk with God, and man would walk with man again. Let not our affections restrict us, O Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father, thank you. I bless your people and your children in your name. And I pray, Lord, one day everyone would be able to hear, you are my friends, because you do what I command you. Thank you, Father, thank you, Lord. Come in the evening, Q&A also into thy hands. Be with us through the day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.